In the world of cinematic flops, there are few greater disasters than 1995's Waterworld. Boasting a cripplingly high budget of nearly $235 million, it was far and away the most expensive film ever made up to that point. Frankly put, it was a cinematic endeavor destined for failure from the onset. But amidst its bloated budget and constant onset bickering, there still remains a level of charm that I've been enamored by since childhood. As writer David Tui will attest, Waterworld is undeniably and unabashedly an oceanic Mad Max ripoff. But when it comes to post-apocalyptic movies, I'm a sucker for any and all projects I can get my hands on, even something as watered down, pun intended, as Waterworld may be. So we're hopping on our souped-up catamaran, chugging a jug of our own piss, and breaking down Waterworld next on Midnight Flicks. The sun. For millions of years, the source of life. But for one planet, the source of its demise. The temperatures climbed. The vast fields of ice at its poles melted. And the oceans rose. Centuries later, few people remain on this planet once called Earth. Among them, a man who still searches, a woman who still hopes, and a small child who carries the secret to a new beginning. In this place they know only as Water World. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late-night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Pat Mitchell, and joining me on this cinematic expedition is Adam Walker. Adam, how are you today, my friend? I'm still, I'm doing okay. Still doing all right. Uh, I will admit, I've been a little sluggish lately, for whatever reason. Oh, oh no. A little logy? Yeah, I don't know, man. I was like pretty <laughs> manic when this all started. I'm not, I'm not depressed by any means. I'm just like, really, I, I'm, I'm doubling down on like being lazy, but that's the thing is like lazy for me is still like me doing stuff every day. Just not like doing a million things. I suppose. I don't know, whatever, but yeah, I'm fine. You good. Yes. I'm hanging in there. Just soaking it all in, soaking all these, uh, <laughs> vibes of staying home with the fam and, watching movies and Tuesdays feel like Saturdays. And <laughs> I noticed, I noticed lately you've been rocking the sleeveless shirts. Is it warm there? Or are you just like full on like it, sleeveless barbecue dad mode? 
I decided whether or not it's going to get warm. I'm doing this anyway. No, it did get warm. I mean, yeah, uh, relatively. It's in the 60s and low 70s now. So, um, you know, at night it dips down a little colder, but Indiana has got that that kind of personality. But mm-hmm. yeah, to me, it is warm. Uh, anything above 65 is uh, is broiling for, for, for this guy. Same. That's why I don't live there anymore. <laughs> it does. And the summer is upcoming and it's about to get much hotter. Um, but I thought <laughs> this is unrelated to anything. I just thought it was so funny and I haven't shared it with anybody. But I read today and it, this this article was speaking to the stupidity of Americans, which I both uh, get defensive about and uh, find intrigued at the same time. <laughs> uh, but uh Back in the 80s, I guess A&W tried to compete with um, McDonald's Quarter Pounder. So they came up with a one-third pound burger for cheaper. But the entire uh, project failed because Americans just thought one-fourth pound was bigger than one-third pound. Maybe because they saw the infraction form, the four in one-fourth, and just assumed it was bigger than one-third. Yeah, I saw that too. Amazing. <laughs> what? That gave me a real chuckle. Yeah, same. And I, I'm right there with you. I Well, yeah, I, I am. I get angry about how stupid um, Americans are perceived and are, are rightfully are, are, you know, perceived as and actually are. Um, and at the same time, you know, from a socioeconomic kind of, you know, political analysis, I understand why, you know, it's, it's, it's designed into kind of our system, you know, that people are like that. So yeah, I struggle with that as well. And I don't want to get into any sort of like diatribe or, or tangent about it, but yeah, no, that not was to, not to belabor the point, um, <laughs> but yes, that's it, it. That, that goes hand in hand with like, you know, you'll see on like late night talk shows and things like that. There's that uh, there's the skit that gets employed once in a while where, you know, the host will go to like Texas or whatever and just be the man on the street and he'll find like random passerbys and yeah, Jay like, Leno's jaywalking. Right. And be like, point to this place on the, on the map. And you know, nobody can ever figure out like, yeah, or, or just whatever, just schlub like trailer park schlub or whatever. But yeah, sure. Sure. So, but, but also I will say <laughs> with this whole pandemic thing and with how bad it's being dealt with on a national level and state by state level, it, it really, really is more and more shining a light on, I'm sorry, but this country is kind of a shithole. <laughs> and again, that's because it's been just made that way. It's, it's a corporate park parking lot that's been made that way. And, as someone who's toured pretty extensively throughout this country, I've and coming from you know places like that, like where I've lived, I've seen it with my own two eyes. It's just been like bombed out due to just bad economic policy, you know, bad bad government policy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it um, it makes you wish for a water world, <laughs> right? <laughs> just you know, to cleanse the earth. Yeah, get a, get a good. Uh, Get the polar ice caps melting, uh, which have already started, I'm sure, <laughs> at least uh, 
microscopic on a microscopic level where they're, they're, the climate is is already you know changing in that way um but yeah let's just let's just bury the fucking earth and then water and, and go from there <laughs> it's it's yeah uh, it's, yeah it can go can go a number of ways at this point but yeah go ahead who who knows who who knows what cataclysmic event will be the one to set our future um but the reason i brought that up is because i wanted to spend uh a time some time in this cold open talking about water world um and in order to not have a bloated wiki wormhole section i thought i would kind of start and end it with with some water world facts because this movie truly is the height of stupidity and it's why I love it. It, it, tr- it, it's got so much going on. There's so many bad decisions. Um, and just so much money thrown at this project. I've been obsessed with this movie since I was a child. And as a child, I just, I found it endearing on surface level. Then as I grew to watch it more and, and just grew up in general, finding out about the finances behind it and just like what it took to make made me love it even more. Cause it's essentially a B movie that got thrown a bloated budget. Um, so it's very unique in that way. And I feel like it's, uh, it's an, it's an endangered species kind of film. Uh, they just wouldn't throw this much money at a concept this ridiculous ever again. Well, Hollywood just wouldn't have, wouldn't be able to take the hit like they, they could afford to in the nineties. Yeah. And um, that's, go ahead. I was, was going to say that that is, I'm, I'm glad you're taking that approach because when I was reading the backstory and, and some of the trivia about this, I was like, I had to keep reciting things I saw to my partner because each one after one, after the other was like, I can't believe this. You got to hear this. It's that shit. There's a whole community of people. I've gone through many a Reddit wormhole on just Waterworld. There's yeah. a whole community of people that are still obsessed with this movie, and I love it. It's a it's a weird. It's not even a subsect of people. That's like a sub sub subsect. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of people that love Waterworld, it, it's a strange demographic of people. Um, so, <laughs> and, but I and I say to- I totally get it after seeing it because. Well, I, sh- I should I should state right up front. This was my first time seeing it. Yes, yeah, so. that's a good way to start as well. So this will be like the reverse of Streets of Fire, where yeah. something a, a movie that you held as beloved, uh, it was something I was seeing for the first time. So this is the opposite of that. This is something that I hold dear that you're seeing for the first time in 2020. Which uh, watching Waterworld for the first time in 2020. Uh, blows my mind not from like how have you never seen it before but blows my mind from like i wish i could experience this movie in 2020 because I, I can't even imagine what it was like like your experience <laughs> i'm so jealous of um, but some background just to set this up this movie is very much so a battle of of two kevins uh you have Kev, you have director kevin reynolds and you have kevin costner obviously who in 1995 was at the height of his superstar powers um and previous to this they did three collaborations fandango robin hood um and rapa nui and were sort of on the outs with one another and somehow got roped into doing a fourth movie together which was this um and turned out to be a bad idea costner 
was notoriously a huge pain in the ass throughout the entire shooting. He was described as kind of a backseat driver director to Kevin Reynolds, like just behind his, his like shoulder the whole time, which I can only imagine is absolutely infuriating from a director's standpoint. Um, so much so that Reynolds actually walked off the project during post-production and Costner ended up finishing the movie, um, finishing in terms of editing and post-production. Uh, at one point, Joss Whedon, the great Joss Whedon, was flown out during shooting for last-minute script rewrites, and he famously described his experience as, quote, seven weeks of total hell. And he was basically, quote, the most expensive stenographer ever hired because it amounted to just editing all of Costner's ideas into the movie with absolutely no alt like alteration whatsoever. Um, you also have Mark Isham of, uh, did, and this is for you because you love sound stuff, audio stuff. He did the, he was the original composer for this and he, he did the Hitcher and Point Break and Blade. Um, but his score was rejected by Costner for quote being too ethnic and bleak. <laughs> and wow. uh, he Unreal. was thrown off the project, which is a very strange quasi racist thing to say about a, about a soundtrack. Although in one of the only moves that was an upgrade on this project, they ended up getting James Newton Howard uh, to do this score. And he's done a hundred plus scores and has gone on to do Christopher Nolan stuff, M. Night Shyamalan, Peter Jackson. I mean, he's like world-renowned composer and, and film score um, specialist. So I guess they got that right. But all of this is to say that this was a hurricane of, of shit. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's unfathomable that the movie did come out the way it did. Um, really quick before we dive into it, what, what are your initial thoughts off the top? what were my initial thoughts about the movie? Oh, just like you're just, you watched this movie initial thoughts of, of having watched it. Um, I saw a lot of potential in what could have been a probably pretty cool story, but yeah, it was like totally blatantly biting from the Mad Max mythology. You know, and just reappropriating it to to water very, very clearly. Um, as far as the budget goes, yeah, that was a lot of money for the '90s, but comparatively to now, like that's a drop in the bucket. There's movies that are made on like I feel way, way, way more, but yeah, back then. And <clears throat> you know, I guess after reading more about it, it's you know, it is notorious financial flop, but turns out that it actually eventually did turn a profit. So that's one of those things that's kind of aggrandized. I feel over time that it's, it wasn't as big of a flop as people like have, have as, as it's been again, kind of universally made out to be. So whatever. Those are good points. And I'll go into the specific numbers. Cause you're right. I mean, it, but it only turned a profit over time. Right. Um, and that is, it, it, and I would say more so it, it grew to break even over time. I wouldn't even say it, the amount, the amount of money it lost and the amount of money that the, that the movie theaters take as a cut 
was a huge blow. But um, let's get into it, shall we? Yeah, let's just get into it, man, because there's a lot to talk about with this one. There is. There is. <laughs> Plot description um, off the top. Uh, the film takes place in the year 2500, uh, following an ecological catastrophe where the polar ice caps have melted and the earth has been plunged into an endless ocean. Uh, the film follows a, a mutated mariner uh, who is nameless, um, navigating aimlessly uh through the ocean until he stumbles across a little girl with a map tattooed on her back, which foretells of a, the myth of dry land. Um, all the while the mariner, the little girl and the little girl's guardian are pursued by smokers who are basically a futuristic equivalent of like 1950s greasers. And uh, they want the map on the little girl's back for their own selfish gain. Cause basically everyone in the world is, looking for this mythical idea of dry land. Um, in terms of, obviously, the critical reception for this, at best, was mixed and mostly panned, but I did find a very... This is the, one of the most hilarious reviews, and it's spot on, that I, that I could find for any of the movies that we've done so far. Someone at The Guardian, and this was recently, because people are still talking about Waterworld after all these years. He said... Only an idiot could have expected Waterworld to be a blockbuster. It was an ecological parable about a messianic mutant fish man who drinks his own piss and sells dirt for a living for crying out loud. At heart, Waterworld was inherently a B-movie, the sort of film people end up watching drunkenly at 3 a.m. Its soundtrack should have been performed on a kazoo and a rubber <laughs> band stretched over a tissue box, not composed <laughs> by James Newton Howard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean that's really reductionist, but like that is pretty amazing. To, 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 that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, I would say I would say like all that, and that is and so this person saying that like as fact, or, and it, all of that shit is true. But I would say all of those things, and I would say it lovingly. I would say like all these. These are all the reasons why I love it. Yeah, because <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Right. Um, Going into the numbers a little bit, it it had a budget of 172 million um, and a total outlay of about 235 million once marketing, distribution costs, and, and other extra extracurricular costs were factored in. The film grossed 88 million um, in the North American box office. The film did do better overseas with about 176 million in foreign box office for a total worldwide total of about 264 million. So if you, if you compare the 264 million to 235 million, you think they've come ahead. However, uh, even those figures, the box office gross cut percentage is about half. So you really, they really did take a hit. It is, it wasn't until the TV broadcast rights and other revenue streams and home video sales, uh, started in and before Waterworld eventually became somewhat profitable over the course of many years. <laughs> um, so I guess not an adjunct failure yeah. financially, but I think the critical success coupled with a budget that could not fathomably be reached um, in the box office is, is why people talk about it. So with all the numbers and all of that out of the way, shall we get into the good, the bad, and the questionable? 
I would say we should. Yeah, let's do that. To begin, right off the top of the good, Dennis Hopper, despite winning a Golden Raspberry for Worst Supporting Actor in this movie, and by the way, uh, this movie had almost every category for Golden Raspberry. They had Worst Director, <laughs> worst, worst Picture, and Worst Actor for, for Kevin Costner. But Dennis Hopper is the only one that actually won Worst Supporting Actor. Um, I, which is ironic because I feel like he's the only one, he's the only actor playing in this movie that is playing it for what it is, which is a ridiculous B movie. It's, it's like he is playing the movie for what it, its original intention was and everybody else like Gene Triplehorn and Costner and, and all other minor characters aren't playing it up for the ridiculous like farce that it is. Um, so I love I love Dennis Hopper in this. It's, it's crazy that he's he's pointed out as the, one of the reasons why this movie sucks. Because I actually I love him in this movie. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Like he's at the top of my list, and so that's funny. I didn't know that he got that award for it because yeah, and in, in the acting category, he is the only redeeming thing. <laughs> he's as great. Far, he's as, so good. As far as as far as leading cast, I would say yeah, he's like the most valuable player in this movie. And uh, he again proves this, this theme that we keep revisiting with these movies is a movie seems to be only as good as it's, as it's, it's leading bad guy. So if you have a bad guy in it, that is good and it delivers his lines well, and is entertaining, then that will at least like kind of support the movie and float it to the end. It's the same thing with, Streets of Fire. If Streets of Fire didn't have Willem Dafoe in it playing a decent bad guy, then that movie would be like a complete piece of shit. So it's true. Yeah. Just true. <laughs> and just wait till we get to quotes. It's all Hopper, baby. <laughs> yeah, right. Um the Exxon Valdez as like an allegory for like inventor environmental despair and disaster is is a little on the nose, but I've <laughs> always really liked that aspect of the film. And I'll tell you what, um, as as a nineties child and you not being that far off as well from being nineties baby or not nineties baby, but a nineties child right. as well. Um, we both remember the Exxon Valdez, uh, you know, accident from the late, it was like what, 1989 or something. I know it's the late eighties. Um, yeah. Late early, late eighties, early nineties for sure. So this movie has is is kind of weird because in in the movie uh, Deacon has that picture of of, of Jeffrey or uh, Joseph Hazelwood Hazelwood yeah <laughs> he was and he was the captain of the Exxon Valdez but yes. like as a child I did not like pick up on who the hell that was so it wasn't until the ship was going down and you see the Exxon Valdez on the back that I even made the connection so I do wonder how many people actually recognize Joseph Hazelwood as like the captain of the Exxon Valdez. I would imagine since this movie came out like five or six years after the incident that he, it was probably more recognizable, but that is completely goes over the heads of people 
nowadays if you're watching the movie. Well, honestly, I, I missed it. Like when they do, when they shoot to the, the, to that picture of him in the, the cabin, the captain's cabin or whatever. And he calls him Uncle Joe. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, he's like giving him reverence. I was like, okay, where, why am I missing who this is? And, you know, after I had read more about the movie, I was like, oh, duh. Yeah. Right. So it all made yeah. sense, you know, obviously after all that. So, <laughs> and then they drive it home, obviously when the ship is sinking anyway, just in yeah. case right. <laughs> yeah. anyone didn't get it. Um, from when Costner first arrives at the Atoll to barter and trade dirt, uh, from, from the first moment he arrives to barter to his escape on, on his ship with Helen and Enola is just like a super fun action adventure set piece. I love that entire sequence is, is awesome. I, and it still holds up. Like I still love it. I think it's still like super adventurous and awesome. Yeah, I agree. And it, it, it's to me, it's the highlight of the movie, but it comes a little too early um, yeah. because nothing is as great any later in the movie. <laughs> that's the, that's the highlight for me. And, and that, but I still adore that scene. Um, also the scene where Deacon is getting his glass eye painted is like legit gut bustingly hilarious to me. And I don't even know why I think I have like some intrinsic connection to childhood of laughing at that scene till I was like crying. I love <laughs> the, like, what do you think? And he asked that kid what he thinks. And the kid's like, it looks like shit. And uh, Hopper's just like, he's right. It does look like shit. That's why I love kids. They're brutally honest or whatever he says. I, <laughs> I love that whole scene is so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, what good do you have? So aside from Dennis Hopper, okay. My, my good list pretty short, but my, uh, at the top of it, this actually also ties into my bad, but nonetheless uh i put i'm kind of you know i'm a sucker for this idea of dystopian junk technology just you know this you know this uh cobbling of things together to make something different or new you know to be able to to make society function on on the bare minimum a civilization function so i like that and there's definitely some cool things going on in this movie. But again, there are some bad aspects to it that I'll get into when we talk about the bad. Um, uh, let's see what else I thought the cinematography was really good. There's definitely some very beautifully shot scenes in it. That whole, uh, montage or scene where they're underwater, uh, which, you know, is you know, there's going through the, um, this sunken metropolis. I thought it was very cool. I, I also like any sort of um, cinematic uh, representations of like underwater civilizations and things like that, or, or ancient abandoned underwater civilizations. Um, I like that a lot. That was very cool. Um, as far as the smokers go and, and their antics, the scene where <laughs> um the no named fish man and, and, and his, uh, compatriots get duped by the, the dead crew that is being puppeteered. Oh yeah. I love by, that scene too. By the, by the, by the, by the bad, by the bad guys. I actually really liked that a lot. I thought that was pretty funny and, and, and kind of clever. 
Um, it was a very weekend at Bernie's uh, trap. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And <laughs> this is just a personal thing for me. So, the what is it? Jean Triplehorn is that her name? Yeah. So it's funny because when I was talking to my partner about this, apparently she's a way bigger actress as far as her recognition than I thought. But for oh, me, in the nineties, yes, she had a, an incredible run, and then. I think I, I don't know a lot about Jean Triplehorn other than uh, she had an incredible run in the nineties. Uh, I think this movie may have no, well, no, I will say pun intended sunk her career. <laughs> right. Well, so I'm, I don't think she was a good actress in this. The reason why I put her in my good though, is because I like all things relating to Mr. Show. So anytime I see somebody in some movie or something else, that I automatically just associate with Mr. Show. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I get I get a laugh out of it. Well, that actress has a very, very brief bit part in a Mr. Show skit, and just mm. that alone, <laughs> that alone made me laugh. And it it came actually after Waterworld. So, yeah, it to, does. yeah, yeah, to 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 good, you know, to tie into like this idea that maybe this whole debacle tanked her career it's just funny to think that like to me she has significance as having a, a very very small bit role in a sketch comedy show that is basically also a cult show as well so that's funny <laughs> yeah and so i'll save it for directorial trifecta but i was actually going to touch upon uh, gene triple horn um then so i'll save it for that but yeah uh Yes, I have some thoughts on her as well. She's terrible in this. Um, yeah, so that, <laughs> there you go. That's my good. That's that was it. Uh, just about. We four. can get into the bad. I could gush. There's just little intricacies that I really like about this movie, but I, I I've talked enough about why I like it. We can move into the bad. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll let you. I'll, I'll let you go. Well, I was gonna say I actually had way more questions for this, but. And when I was writing it down and when I went and I did more of the trivia research aspect, a lot of it was kind of answered more or less, but yeah. So go ahead. You know, I want you, I want you being someone that has a, you know, a connection, more of an emotional kind of sentimental connection to it, to go into the bad first, please. Well, so this is a diatribe that I went on years ago that I still think is funny to me, but nobody relates to, and no one has uh, got my back on. I don't know if got my back is a little <laughs> too strong. I have this, I have this thing that Tina Majorino, uh, who plays the little girl, yeah. um, she, she is baby Joe Pesci to me. She just looks like a, a little Joe Pesci. I don't know. I have no quantifiable thing like research to give you other than I just think her face looks like Joe Pesci. It looks like Joe Pesci is a little girl yeah. and she's always bothered me as a child. She's also in this nineties, like seal comedy called Andre. I don't know if you ever saw that, <laughs> but she's, she's a child actress. That's like stuck in the nineties. Like she played a Enola in Waterworld, And she says herself that this is her most recognizable role. And then she's in that weird seal comedy called Andre, but I'm just gonna just throw this back out there. Cause I've not 
stood on this soapbox for a while, but she is a, a child Joe Pesci. And I <laughs> not acting wise, she just has the face that looks like a blown out cigar. <laughs> well, okay. So I will jump in real quick to talk about her. And this kind of ties into uh, our spot the dick category. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. But I will just say that I guess this was kind of a good for me in the same way that the Gene Triplehorn sighting is, is when I saw this lady in this movie, I, I was able to immediately recognize her as being from Napoleon Dynamite. And so I made that connection right away. Ah, okay. So, but we can talk more about that later. Sure. Yes. Yeah. But go, well, go, yeah, go ahead with, uh, with more. More bad. bad um, the Peter Gunn theme song, and maybe you can in post production throw that bad boy insert that song in here. <laughs> but that playing over the scene where Deacon is like riding around in the car and like handing out the cigarettes is like peak cringe for me. <laughs> I, there's something about that that is like so embarrassing. I don't can't really even put my finger on it, but the whole sequence is just like it just makes me cringe. I absolutely hate that whole sequence. <laughs> um, and just in case you can't pull that theme for whatever reason. You're just gonna get it, okay? Go ahead. It's, compl- it's completely doable. So we'll okay, never mind. Right. I won't. I won't embarrass us by continuing. <laughs> um, the demographic for this film, and this is actually my own personal feelings as to why this movie failed. The demographic for this film is all over the place. It's like a Disney movie for adults, but with all the trappings of a live action Disney movie still. But then you also have like nudity and like there's enough nudity and cussing throughout that like it can appeal to children and uh, adults probably wouldn't want their children to watch it. But even though it's not that graphic necessarily, um, but then it's also like not for adults necessarily. It's still kind of like a children's movie for adults. It it's stands in a weird demographic. I, I don't know who this is for. If you ask the question, who is this movie geared towards? Who the fuck knows? I have no idea at whatsoever. I mean, and also I guess to throw into why children should watch. I mean, you have the like quasi rape scene where that dude like essentially buys uh, Jean, uh, Helen, played by Gene Triplehorn, off for like uh, a quickie, and then even insinuates that he wants to have sex with the, with Enola. <laughs> uh, are you talking about the uh, the creepy drifter guy part? Yeah, 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 yeah. So mentioning that, you know, what the discussion I was having while watching this movie was, um, you could tell with this movie that they were they were trying to basically make what would sort of been like, kind of like almost like a Jurassic park sort of thing where they could have like trademarked toys and rides. And, you know, you know that there was this whole machine, uh, this operation going on behind it where they wanted to develop this bigger merchandising, uh, sort of, you know, scenario with it. But yeah, it also like it doesn't quite fall enough into the category of being a child's film to, you know, to 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 warrant that or to actually have that catch on. So, yeah, you're right. It it does fall in this weird sort of middle like (laughs) nether region. So, 
Yeah, I was just, I was gonna say yeah, even like a, like a Pirates of the Caribbean sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Like that. But then it's like too graphic <laughs> and like there's too many adult themes throughout. It's weird. That's yeah. definitely part of the bad, and that's why this movie didn't do well for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and the the only other bad I had was this the overall aesthetic of the smokers is just one of the lamest things I could, they are like, they're the equivalent of, of like, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good, a good, like psychobilly. They're basically the psychobilly of, <laughs> of this movie. Like it is so embarrassing. They might as well be playing like upright stand up, like coffin bases and shit. Like they're so embarrassing in this movie. And it puts into perspective that for me, it puts into the perspective the genius of George Miller and his and what he did with Mad Max and his vision for the road the road warrior look and using all like the bondage shit and how yeah. that wasn't embarrassing like at all. It was actually fucking tight, like super right. super cool. There is such a fine line, man. You can't just have a bunch of people in like leather and shit and like smoking cigarettes. That doesn't always equal cool. Um, and it did not work. <laughs> It, it does not work here. Like the, the smokers are the antithesis of cool. Whereas all of the road warrior shit, even the, with the assless chaps and all that, like it is the epitome of type. Like I love all that shit. Whereas this is falls way short of all that. hundred percent. And that also, that goes into my bad and ties into what I was saying with what I thought was the good, you know, where I do like that dystopian sort of, trope of just throwing together junk to make something new but with this movie it completely misses the mark it's like it's got this steampunky kind of like yeah uh, uh vibe to it and it's it's so 90s in that way that it's just it's it's appropriating 80s ideas through a 90s filter and just completely goofs it all you know across the board Oh, it biffs it big time. Biffs yeah, it big time. The hair, the hair, it, the the hairstyles look like shit. The the fashion looks like shit. Um, yeah. So with you there, hundred percent, way way in the bad for me. <laughs> what other bad do you have? Well, right off the top, I wrote this movie is a it is based on a completely implausible premise this idea of this water world is completely like this could never ever happen um kevin costner is in my bad and the thing with kevin costner and we didn't we have not invoked the name of ebert very much but i did read ebert's review of this and he actually you know he kind of nailed it where when you, if you AB the Kevin Costner character with Mad Max, with Mel Gibson, there is so much opportunity to create a cool dude with cool lines with this sort of character, this marauding, vagabond, no name, like, you know, kind of character. And he just can't do it. Like, honestly, I haven't really watched any Kevin Costner movies in a really long time. And I know he was a big mega star and a heartthrob. And I definitely like movies that he's been in. Um, but like, I haven't watched them probably since I was a kid, but he just sucks. He just isn't a good, he isn't a good anti-hero at all. So. 
And to piggyback off of that, he's at like the height of his own egomania in 1995. And like reading about uh, like giving, giving Kevin Reynolds like a hard fucking time and just yeah. making this an, uh, an otherwise miserable uh, shooting experience. It, it also, yeah, I'd throw Kevin, uh, I throw Kevin Costner into my bad of just like overall dick. It, ruining yeah. everyone's time and making this movie for sure and i you know again if we talk about this more than trivia that's great but just to reiterate apparently he was just a complete fucking insufferable asshole during the making of this movie just mind-blowingly like just like the epitome of like an egotistical conceited just just disrespectful actor so yeah, yeah. Fuck, he, fuck, he, fuck him, fuck Kevin Costner. Like I never, I never even like crossed my mind to ever think like something like that until like I watched mo- this movie and read about him, and I'm just like, yeah, fuck. Oh him. yeah, no, definitely. I don't fucking <laughs> care about Kevin. I don't care about <laughs> Kevin Costner whatsoever. Right. At totally, all. To- totally. But like again, it's just it, it just became very apparent after uh, I watched this. So I had that revelation. Uh, uh, you know, it's funny. I've had quite a few revelations with this like oh i i never watched it before i never knew what, what all the fuss was about and now like i'm like oh kevin costner is clearly a fucking asshole so anyways those are my main bads that's pretty much it for me yeah and fuck field of dreams because that movie makes me fall asleep every time <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny like i actually i remember having you know good sentimental memories attached with it but like i said i haven't watched it in so long if i watched it now i'd be like yeah fuck Dude, it's mind-numbing it's the most mind-numbing mind-numbingly boring movie i could fucking <laughs> fathom yeah it's just feel good um, it's feel good pablum <laughs> you know it, but only if you have like an intrinsic like history of baseball in your family and then even then like i feel like I, it's not necessarily that type. <laughs> um questionable I'm going to use this as a platform for you to ask your questions and see if I can answer them the best I can. Oh my, oh my. So like I said, some of this stuff got answered after I, well, kind of answered when I did the trivia, but initially right off the bat, I wrote, how do they get the fuel to operate this skidoos and all these things? Like where are they, where are they able to mine and refine the petroleum for all of this. And obviously that was somewhat answered when I found, Oh, they use the Exxon Valdez barge as their like floating world or floating like country slash headquarters. But uh, it still doesn't answer like just cause you have crude oil in the Exxon Valdez. It doesn't answer like, how do you refine it to actually like, you know, um, operate all these things. And, and even on the atoll, like, you know, like they have things that require fuel and and electricity. And they're just like, that's what I mean on this, like premise of being completely implausible. Like this would never, ever happen. Like there's just so much techno technology, even like crude primitive technology that requires these things that we have in a modern society that on a world that is completely floating on water, where, you know, unless you have scuba equipment and technology to get to the bottom of the sea, like you can't get these things to work. And also they just have like this, like unending supply, apparently of uh, ammo 
So anyways, right off the top, there's, there's those two things, big things. The thing I can't answer. Yes. The, all of the fuel is because they're on the Exxon Valdez. So whatever, uh, that answers that with, with, with still some questions, but at least that <laughs> is somewhat an answer. Right. But yeah, the, what, one of the questions I had that is unanswerable is where is this endless supply of bullets, booze, and cigarettes coming from? How are they still obtaining supplies if the idea of dry land is a myth and Kevin Costner, which I'll just segue this into my my other question if kevin costner is the only fathomable person on the planet that even knows that the that there's underground cities and shit to even get supplies from yeah, yeah how is how are the smokers getting any supplies but that segues into are we to believe that costner is the only mutated person in the entire world like and if not why don't more people know of these underground cities um and yeah to combat that question when they see his gills mutation like he says it like they've seen it before or like I right don't even know so there's lots of questions with the mutation angle because it's well, like is he the only one like what the hell's going on okay and also yes and i have that as one and to uh extrapolate a little bit more onto that because neither one of us are scientists so but if you have any sort of like fundamental understanding of uh biology and natural selection there is no way that a man would mutate gills in that shortest time span that, that's just not that's not a thing that would ever happen if you're basing it off of like say that this world you know has existed like it has even for 500 years let's say like if today like it became a water world and then people had to exist in the ocean or on the ocean you wouldn't grow gills. That's just, that's, that is like millennia upon millennia of a process to have somebody be able to develop that sort of mutation. That's one (laughs) big, big, big glaring thing. And and like, that is like, not to get off the subject too much, but that like is like similar to, I don't know. Do you watch walking dead at all? Or have you ever watched it? Yeah. I watched like what seemed like at least five or six seasons before it fell off. Have you gotten to the season where they meet the trash people, the trash tribe? No, I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, sorry. Uh, do you mind if I give you a little bit of a spoiler here with this? Yeah, no, I don't care. I'm not <laughs> okay. watching that show either. So th- this is a similar sort of thing where <clears throat> um, Rick and his whole crew of people encounter what is like uh, this whole, like completely different, like basically like, civilization of people in the landfill they're like these trash like tribe people and they have completely developed a whole different like almost like language that's you know that's like this kind of like more like monosyllabic like very simplified sort of cave people kind of english and it's just like bruh like this civilization has been like has has decayed like in like six years no one's going to develop like a completely different language in that period of time but this is a similar that's even more glaring yeah right but this is the same thing like no nobody would mutate gills in 500 years as a human so yes anyways so there's that (laughs) agreed yes um 
do you want to go on? Cause I have more where that came from. <laughs> I can just, just keep, keep them coming. Cause I've, I've got answers if there are answers to have, but so far, you know, there's not a ton of answers for any of these questions. There's no adult women in this world at all. There's like the, the one woman, you know, the Jean triple horn, there's the child. And then when they meet up with the, um, the, the crew from the atoll that has survived and they're flying on that, they're on that flying device. There's like a few more adult women, but really again, like the, the ratio of adult women to men is like completely like lopsided. <laughs> I will say, yeah, it's definitely, they're definitely outnumbered, but there's, yeah, there's, I mean, there's women peppered through There's one in the background when they're about to fight. She's like, yeah, fight, fight. There's like a, a random background actress. And then there are like random female smokers. Um, but they are outnumbered 10 to one in this movie for sure. Right. So that just implies that what they're just like breed mares because uh, yeah, that's why they want, that's why they wanted uh, Kevin Costner to fuck their 12 year old daughter. Sure. Right. So anyways, there's that. Um, another question in a civilization in a world where supplies and resources are clearly at like a very, very high premium. They're completely like almost non-existent. Why would the smokers just so blatantly or just like without regard, just destroy things? You would think that somehow they would want to come up with some sort of like better way, tactical way to get into the atoll to take it over than just completely blowing it apart. Because wouldn't you want the resources that it has instead of just completely like destroying them? So. I didn't understand that. So they come off more as like, just like anarchists, like they're just like nihilists. I think they're just like blowing shit up for the sake of fun and for the sake of just like, or in the world kind of aesthetic. Similar to like the road warriors. Yeah. But even more so that's again, where like this just doesn't, this whole premise doesn't hold up as well as it does with like the road warriors or like that whole universe. Cause on land you have more of like, we are land dwelling mammals we are we've evolved to utilize things off of land to build our civilizations it just is not you can't translate that to a world where everything is water and you don't have the technology to mine the deep seas like frequently as frequently as needed to create create and maintain a civilization so that's that was another thing yeah Uh, yeah yeah let's see um Man, okay, fuck. <laughs> um, well, again, this got kind of answered further on. I was like, I just noticed that nobody was eating. Nobody was fishing. Um, but then, like, that kind of got answered. I saw, like, oh, okay, they did try to fish. And there was, like, this, like, giant s- supply of spam that, again, if this is, like, 500 years from let's say like what would be considered like an actual functional civilization that spam would be there would not be good at all that would not be it would be completely inedible so i don't understand how they eat in this world um other than like yeah fishing but i didn't see them really fishing. i didn't think about that that's a good point there, there you don't see a lot of people consuming anything in this right um oh okay yeah um, so when they go down to 
the sunken metropolis in that makeshift kind of, you know, deep sea diving apparatus. Um, that rope is really, there's no way that rope is that long to get to the bottom. There's just no way it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. There's just no way that that rope would accommodate them getting all the way to the bottom. Uh, theoretically, um, true where they're at in the makeshift, uh, submarine or whatever. Right. Um, Oh yeah. Another big, big question. So by the time they, they're able to reach land, this Island that they've been searching for, what, why, like, again, like, so it's, it's mythologized for what it would, I would see, I would understand as being at least a few generations that this exists, but it doesn't seem like it took them that long to get there. You're trying to tell me in all that time, nobody was able to find this. I mean, obviously like it's implied at the end that, um, the, the young girl has been sent away from it and had, had reached the atoll. But like, to me, it just seems like in that amount of time, at least somebody from the atoll or the smokers would have been able to like find this myth mythological land. Uh, I, I felt like that was also kind of weird. So anyways, I feel like I'm really digging into this. So I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you just didn't have any suspension of disbelief, Adam. <laughs> well, and, and, that, and that's, you know, it's unfortunate because I feel like, yeah, if I would have seen this at a young age, like you did, then I would have totally like bought all of this hook, line and fucking sinker, not did use another water related pun. We got so many of them. I think we should just keep, keep the puns coming. Yeah. So obviously I get it, man. Like there's plenty of movies that I saw when I was younger that like, I'm like, wow. Like I talked about gremlins. I love gremlins. Oh, I, and gremlins, not even to make a comparison. It's not even equal, but like love gremlins to death. But if you watch it with a critical eye as an adult, you're like, eh, the fuck none of that could happen so yes this is a lot of me just digging in because i didn't see this at the right age i didn't see this i didn't see this when i was a 10 year old kid you know yeah, yeah so, I, I get that I, I totally understand that but but there you go so there's there's all my all of my questions so many questions <laughs> the only one you know i mean the only one that I would even start to address is the fact that if there was a small piece of land, even the size of like one of the smaller islands of Hawaii, and let's say if that is the only land on the entire earth, that would legit be like a needle in a haystack to find. Like that would be borderline impossible with no maps. I mean, maps don't exist. Uh, compasses are useless. I mean, going direction, directions are almost completely futile. Um, yeah. so I could imagine that finding a small stretch of land with the entire globe governed in water would be actually fairly difficult. Right. Um, right. Yeah, totally. Like I said, I was really digging in on that one. No, so. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no worries. Don't move. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, looking real good. Yeah. There. There. All done. Now, there may be some small problem in depth perception. Well, better not screw up my short game. Well, looks good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, I like it better than you realize. Much better. What do you say, Toby? The truth. Looks like shit. 
That's why I love children, no guile. <laughs> it does look like shit. And it feels like cold shit. So let's move into our category and award section portion of our podcast, which we like to kick off with quotes. Um, and like I said earlier, this is a deacon heavy uh, category, my friend. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna I've let just got so many. <laughs> I'm just gonna let I'm just gonna let you take the wheel on this one because I started to write one down and then I didn't end up going back and like looking up the one specifically that I liked. So you go ahead, my friend. So, okay, let's, I'm just going to rifle through. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's talking to Enola about, um, uh, about Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner's character is unnamed. So we'll just call, call him the Mariner. I think that's what they want you to call him. Right, right. Uh, and he says, or he, he can come see you. He can come see what's left of you in a goddamn jar. I love that line. <laughs> uh, and then he says, golly gee, a single tear runs down my cheek. That's, uh, I fucking, that line rules. Um, yeah. Don't just stand there. Kill something. Uh, he's like a turd that won't flush. That one's good. <laughs> um, if I ever see him again, I'm going to cut open his head and eat his brain. Yeah, uh, that one's tight. Yeah. And uh, the 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 pinnacle, the peak of Deacon quotes. Uh, talking to Enola again. How about a cigarette? Nothing like a good smoke when you miss your mom. Never, never too young to start. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, like we said, Dennis Hopper was just swinging for the fences. I don't to pick my favorite. It'd be that cigarette line. I, I don't know if you remember this one. This is the one that I started to write down. And I wasn't able yeah. to finish it. It started off with something about suck and savor. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I do not. It's a Deacon quote. <laughs> Pretty sure it's a Deacon quote. Um, fuck. Now I regret. Uh, maybe I can find it here real quick. Um, uh, nah, I'm not. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it quickly enough. There's, it started off something about sucking and savoring. <laughs> he's he's like waxing poetically, and he says, if, if there's a river, we'll damn it. If there's a blank, we'll blank it. We shall suck and savor the sweet flavor of dry land. Yes, there it is. Yes, you're right. Thank you. Of course. Um, yeah, nobody else is even worth quoting, uh, let alone... Uh, Kevin Kevin Costner's like fucking shitball one off uh, <laughs> one off impression of, of trying to be Mel Gibson. Yeah, <laughs> big poop. Yeah, toilet flush. Um, did you spot yourself a dick? Uh, this was rife with dicks. There was so many good Dick Millers in this movie. We named it after Dick Miller, who's bit performer extraordinaire. Was in hundred plus movies, but it was in no movie longer than five minutes seemingly right. for a majority of his career. Who did you pick for your Dick Miller award? So I have a couple things to say about this. Um, I did pretty much have a dick, but for me, it, it didn't quite completely fulfill the category on my end because I actually, when I looked at this guy's filmography, I'm like, I've never seen, I mean, like I recognize him, but I've never seen really much he's been in, but the actor that played the drifter, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah like he is definitely a dick miller where he's just been in, he's been in a million things he's like a character actor he he plays like a very erratic eccentric weirdo in this movie um I, oh fuck what's his name his name is uh 
Like, I was going to ask, do you know his name so we can at least give him a, a little shouty? His name is... Shit. Of course, I can't find it right now. I should have wrote it down. I'm. It's like Max Coat or something. Um, let's see. Kim Coates. There you go. Kim Coates. So I would say I would nominate him basically it. But like I said, I haven't seen a whole lot. He's been in, he's been in a lot of like sci-fi and stuff that I haven't seen. But other than that, the other point I wanted to make was Tina Majorino. So I just put her down because she plays, um, I forget her name, but she's in Napoleon dynamite and she plays the lady that is the girlfriend of Pedro essentially. And she is famously known for that scene where she's going door to door to try to sell trinkets and sell glamor shots to people. And she goes to Napoleon's house and she's talking and that where it gets a line from chip where he says, your mom goes to college and she just runs off crying. So that's where I recognized her from immediately. I was like, Oh shit. It's like a baby, you know, that lady. <laughs> She's just little Joe Pesci. Uh, little duh. baby Joe Pesci. <laughs> so th- those are my dicks. There was lots to choose from because if you'll notice, uh, the guy from Serpent in the Rainbow was in this little like voodoo priest guy in Serpent in the Rainbow. He's yes, like yes, there was the, him for one sure. Of the guys on the Atoll. Um, uh, I don't know if you caught this, but Jack Black, a young ass Jack Black, is in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. I wrote down him as uh, he he looks like Post Malone in this role. He really does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a pre-Post Malone. <laughs> right. Um, but I didn't pick either one of them. I picked Robert Joy, who is the smoker ledger bookkeeper guy um, on, on the Exxon Valdez. And yes. he was in Land of the Dead, and he's also in the Hills Have Eyes remake. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Of the dead. He's like the sharpshooter with like the the fuck the wonky eye. Right, and then like in this movie, he plays the guy that has the uh, the oxygen tank. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I believe so. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. Yeah. I. 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 Yeah. You're right. There was like a lot of a lot of there them was a lot to choose in, from in, in, this the, in this movie. So good. There really good, was. Good job on that. Our Bill Paxton uh, category, which we try to. Uh, pigeonhole Bill Paxton into every movie that we talk about. Um, Who did you have Bill Paxton replacing in this movie? I didn't really pin down anybody specifically, but just out of spite, (laughs) I I would put Kevin Costner. Yeah. Yeah. I would replace (laughs) Kevin Costner with Bill Paxton. Cause like Bill Paxton would play that role way better than Kevin Costner. I like, I like where you went with that. Um, I didn't go that direction. Uh, I think maybe I'm just so intrinsically connected with this movie being a Kevin Costner movie. I, that's hard for me, but um, I had him replacing Gerald Murphy, who plays the Nord. He's like the long haired redheaded guy that tries to get him to buy a drink at the bar. A drink of yeah. Water. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's like the right hand man to Deacon. Yeah. Um, so I thought that Bill Paxton would play a great right hand man to, De- to Deacon. I, I, I'm uh, salivating at the thought of Dennis Hopper and Bill Paxton kind of going uh, tit for tat. Um, right. Yeah. I would say that is definitely a more appropriate um, replacement. 
and him being uh, opposed to a Kevin Costner figure figure is is like everything we need in this movie. Yeah, and that's the thing too. You know, he doesn't really fit the role of a leading man. He's never really played a leading man. So, you know, I'm just. You know, I'm making a wild conjecture with my. No, with I, my like, I like it still. I would have loved that. <laughs> it would have been tight. Yeah. Um, and he would have been coming right off of Severin. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so that's tight. Directorial trifecta. I did something unique for this category because I took a look at Kevin Reynolds' uh, filmography, and it was. <laughs> Yeah, it's a real stinker of a it's filmography, a real stinker. in my uh, opinion. I just don't give a shit about most of these movies. Uh, Same. So, um, what I did was I was going to talk about Gene Triplehorn a little bit. Um, the, 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 I prefaced this, obviously, earlier um, when we were talking about Gene, Gene Triplehorn because of her cataclysmic rise in the 90s and then kind of died off. Yeah. Um, so... She did um, in a very in very close proximity. Uh, she did the firm in 1993. Uh, she did Waterworld in 1995. I'm sorry, I should start over. She did Basic Instinct in 1992, right. the firm in 1993, and Waterworld in 1995. And all three of those movies are three of my favorite <laughs> movies <laughs> from the yeah. 90s, and it's basically back to back to back. Um, yeah. It, and she plays three like completely different roles in all three movies. And I will say in the firm and basic instinct, she's actually great. And in Waterworld, for whatever reason, it just didn't translate well. And her performance was kind of kind of awful. But well, well uh, I'm gonna give her the go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say I would say uh for her part, this is the director's problem. You know, I, w- I wouldn't fault her as much as just just bad, bad, bad direction in this. Yeah, because I mean, uh, Basic Instinct is is a Paul Verhoeven movie, yeah. um, and and the firm is directed by Sidney Pollack. So, like, a good director's got good shit out of her. Uh, yep. It's not fucking shocking. Um, but I'm going to give her the trifecta award because I think she deserves a little love, and I it hurts my heart to think that Waterworld may have ruined her career. But I love <laughs> Basic Instinct, The Firm, and Waterworld. I love all three of those movies. Um, so I'm going to give it to her because uh, I'd rather... I have. I actually don't have anything against Kevin Reynolds. Uh, I feel bad that Costner kind of big dick them in this way, but yeah. you know, I just haven't seen Fandango. I've seen the con of Monte Cristo and I don't fucking care about it at all. Yeah. Prince of thieves is just like, I don't give a shit about, I don't give a shit about the kinds of movies that he makes. And I can't even, I guess they're just, I can, can best be described as like wholesome family friendly action adventure movies. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, at least. I know I've seen enough uh, clips and snippets of it just from cultural fucking, you know, bottom feeding or whatever, you know, or like osmosis. So and yeah, I've never seen really any of this other shit. He did an Amazing Stories episode, which I watched Amazing Stories when I was a kid. It was a, you know, it was a Steven, Steven Spielberg series in the 80s, uh, like a serial type of thing. And like... I might have seen the episode he directed, but yeah, don't care. No care. No care. Sorry, Kevin Reynolds. <laughs> um, uh, 
Shall we move directly into our wiki wormhole and wrap this up? Yeah, man. Cause I feel like there's a lot to talk about, but yeah, we already kind of, you know, we're, oh boy. we, we bookended I, it here, but yeah, go ahead. I'll keep it concise. And this is actually why I front ended it with information. That way this section wouldn't be as bloated. Right. Um, so I did get uh, some of it out of the way <laughs> from the top. But drum roll, please. We have a new body count winner uh, for Midnight Flicks podcast. Oh, uh, really? Itchy this the is... Killer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Itchy the Killer was at 25. Um, I found somebody, uh, I believe on YouTube, who painstakingly counted how many people died in this movie. And he <laughs> put it at six, 67. So. Yeah. There's there a lot, yeah. There's a lot of lot of blowing up in this. If you lots account- of blowing up, lots of smokers getting killed, lots of people at the atoll getting killed. Yeah, it, it's uh, and especially when the Exxon Valdez goes down, right? Sixty. I think he. I think he capped it at sixty-seven on-screen deaths that we know of, and then there's countless more that you just have to assume. Yeah. Um, so that will be a hard body count to to uh, top. Well, uh, yeah. So we can award it that along with the Razzies that it's it was nominated yes, in the Razzie Award. And when we talk about body count from now on, we, we will. I'm going to bump Itchy at 25 and put Waterworld at 67 and see if anything tops it. Can I um, can I answer yeah. one other thing since I've been kind of mentioning this just for my own shits and giggles? Uh, when we talk about nudie skin, the <laughs> dick boob factor. This, this one's pretty pretty low. On that factor, you, you get you get a a backside of Gene Triplehorn, which if I don't know if you will mention it in the trivia, actually turns out was not Gene Triplehorn. So you get you get a little bit of butt, and that's pretty much it. What's sad? What <laughs> What's truly sad is that that's not in my wormhole trivia, but I knew that because I. Uh, shamelessly will admit to pausing that part of the movie on VHS notoriously as a child and just (laughs) fucking glowing in the basking in the glory of that butt and found out later that it was a body double and my gene triple horn boner went (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, that's funny I didn't even add that to my trivia but I just that's from my 10 year old brain I, I knew all that there you um, go. And I anticipate that that scene every time. I, I know it's coming. I'm always like, <laughs> time for some tri- triple horn, but even though it's not uh, here. Um, okay. Let's get to there's lots of meat here. Uh, supposedly, Kevin Costner had an affair with a hula girl while shooting scenes in Hawaii, uh, which actually led to the end of his marriage, his first oh marriage. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Just add to the big dick. Uh, and by big dick, I mean big asshole that. Uh, Costner was in what a throughout turd. this whole process. Yeah, yeah. completely. Um, there's an amusement park ride modeled after this film, Waterworld, a live seawater spectacular. Still to this day in 2020, is still a ride at Universal Studios Hollywood, Japan, and Singapore. There you go. <laughs> Which is crazy. There's also, and if I can dig it up, I can. We can post it on our Instagram. There is a picture of nine-year-old, eight-year-old uh, little little Patty Mitchell at Universal Studios in uh, Florida, where I am on the actual Trimaran from this movie, because they had it in Universal Studios Florida, and you could like climb on and take pictures with it and shit. There's a picture of me on that fucking boat. Um, I'll see if my mom has it in some shoebox somewhere. Um, 
because I know it exists. Um, there's lots of people that almost died making this movie. Uh, early in the uh, shoot, uh, Gene Triplehorn and uh, Tina Majorino were actually thrown off of the Mariner's boat and almost drowned. And it took a, a team of 12 di- divers to rescue them. Yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah. Uh, um, I was going to say, yeah, th- there's a, there's a this show on Shutter called Cursed Films where they talk about mostly horror movies that have had like, you know, a lot of these sort of incidences like that, like either deaths of crew members or just whatever. And, uh, there's one where they kind of do a sidebar about how nobody ever talks about Waterworld as being a cursed film, even though really? like there's all this fucking mayhem and like crazy shit happened around it. But yeah. So there you go. Wow. That's tight. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're not the only ones. So Norman Howell, the stunt coordinator for the underwater scenes, he came up like way too quickly and almost died from like a very severe case of the bends. Um, (laughs) and then (laughs) Costner himself nearly drowned to death when he was tied to the mast of the, of the Trimaran. Uh, he got like caught up in a squall and, uh, the craft like drifted out to sea and it took nearly like a half hour for a rescue team to like get Costner and untie him. Yeah. Oh my God. Which is terrifying. Uh-huh. Um, the giant floating atoll set was a quarter of a mile long and cost $22 million to build. Yeah. Adding to that insane fact, uh, most of this movie was shot on, on location in the ocean um, off the coast of Hawaii. Yeah. You, you would think that Universal Studios would have learned better from setting movies in uh, Hawaii during hurricane season because two years earlier, Jurassic Park was completely ravaged by hurricanes and it actually fucked up a lot of the shooting. And yeah. indeed, there was also a hurricane on set for Waterworld too. And the storm actually sank the entire floating atoll set and they had to rebuild it from scratch. Holy uh, fucking shit. So that's where all your fucking money's going is a $22 million set that gets washed away uh, in a hurricane and having to be rebuilt again. So initially, and I think you'll find this interesting, Waterworld um, was actually going to be the opposite of a big budget blockbuster. Uh, Peter Rader, who did the original Waterworld script in the late 80s, um, was actually commissioned by Roger Corman um, to make a like a more of like a B movie based on this concept. Um, but the co- the company ultimately decided that it just couldn't be made for under $3 million. So they sold the, they sold Raiders script. Um, and that's when David Toohey was thusly hired to polish up Raiders script. Um, and supposedly dozens of other hands were, uh, on this script at one point or another, and obviously I already mentioned Joss Whedon being one of the most famous um, ones to come in, but they yeah. completely wasted his fucking time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then really, since I've gone over most fun shit about this movie, the, the last thing I had was just a little bit about uh, uh, Joseph Hazelwood. Obviously he was the captain of the Exxon Valdez uh, during its 1989 oil spill. Um, what I did not know was he was accused of being intoxicated, which contributed to the disaster. Um, and I think that's what, how most people remember him was the, the drunk Alaskan sea captain of this yeah. oil vessel that ran aground. But actually, he was cleared of that charge at his 1990 trial after witnesses testified to the fact that 
he was sober around the time of the incident, which is hilarious because that implicates the fact that he was drunk. There was times when he was drunk at the wheel. This just wasn't one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That and whole- uh, Dennis Hopper lovingly calling him Uncle Joe it adds to that whole story because everyone's drunk in that movie. So I, I, I imagine that all the drinking that goes on in that movie, especially Dennis Hopper's character, is a direct reference to, uh, to this incident. Yeah. Um, did you have any more? We can go on and on no, about this. We, we, I love Waterworld trivia, though. I, I fucking love it. Do there's, you have shit that I have not said? There's so much. Oh, yeah. There's so, a lot. I, I cut stuff out because I just couldn't keep talking about it. Well, just to really pile on the the shit heap that is Kevin Costner, especially with this movie. <laughs> Uh, he also apparently demanded the VFX crew hide his receding hairline digitally, which was not a cheap feat in 1995. So just, this is another, so this is another big Reddit thing with, with Kevin Costner in this movie, because he doesn't apologize. He, He doesn't have anything else to say about this movie. It's so funny. He doesn't say anything about like the shittiness of it or like him being a big pain fucking ass or, anything like that, or even the fact that he almost died, but he vehemently states that that is absolutely false and that they did ne- he never suggested they do such a thing. And most people just think he's a fucking liar. And I'm in the camp that thinks he's just a fucking liar. So. Well, and I, I was going to say when I, when I read that out loud to my partner, we just both said like, well, they didn't do a very good job because you could still very clearly see his receding hairline. So, you know, whatever. Here's, here's what I actually think happened. I don't, I, I don't think they actually did it. What yeah. I think he's lying about is the fact that he demanded it and they just didn't do it. I, he's, he's saying that it never happened. Like he never requested that. I could totally see him wanting that, but them just not doing it. That's where I lie. That's where, yeah. that's what I think about that theory. Yeah, no, I believe that too. Um, another one, let's see here. Um, to go back to the like, if you want to get into the hard science that yes. will discredit a lot of the premise of this movie, the big big premise of this movie. Um, if the ice caps melted, the oceans would only rise a few hundred feet, not enough to flood civilization into a floating oblivion. But also, apparently, um, they tried to further develop this plot more, or like have an alternate like theory as to why the water overtook the entire civilized world and that's because there was a second moon and it created just this just like cataclysmic disruption in in um water levels which either way just completely batshit and like you know implausible yeah both, <laughs> both situations although i did not know that if the polar ice caps melted we wouldn't just be cataclysmically fucked yeah i mean i mean i pretty much knew that too but also it was just further confirmed uh by that little bit um a lot of this too apparently a lot of like uh i guess some of the questions i had too that i was reading could be answered more by the uncut version of this there's basically like there's an uncut like three hour version of this movie that goes a little bit more into you know where the smokers came from and uh, you know the mythology of the uh the island, the land, and all this that apparently, and like also how 
the smokers are able to refine the crude oil to make it into actual usable petroleum, things like that. So apparently if you watch the uncut version, it's not as much of a fucking mess. So I do know, and this will shock you to, to know this. I've never seen the extended cut of this because I just, I have the VHS copy of this movie that is still getting play after all these years. And I the extended cut is obviously in some like two disc extended edition that came out for an anniversary. And there's, I know there's like 40 minutes of additional footage um, added onto it. This I, I may I may just have to track this down and 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 watch the unedited the unedited version. Um, God, I I can't. It's crazy to think that I'd, I'd never seen it, but I, I'll probably just have to do that at some point. Please do <laughs> please do that and report back to me. Oh my, my my wife will be thrilled that she has to watch Waterworld again, and this time it's forty minutes longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know we we always talk about how our obsession with this will eventually tank our relationships. That might be again, to use, <laughs> that might be to use the, water, the-, <laughs> the water puns. This is what's going to do it. This is what's going to sink Pat's so. marriage. That will be, I got bad news and bad news. We're watching Waterworld <laughs> again, which you didn't want to watch the first time and thought it was three hours long. And when I told you it was two hours long, you couldn't believe me, but not only are we watching it again, we are watching the version that is almost three hours long. <laughs> well, if we do end up doing Patreon content again, maybe that'll be something we revisit is when Pat watches the uncut version of this. And then we just really, <laughs> really, tear this one apart i'm down all right um yeah like i said we can keep going on this but let's uh i would say we should just wrap it up okay um in terms of a rating uh let's start with the midnight rating on a scale on a clock how close to midnight of a midnight movie do we think this is i put 8 p.m <laughs> yeah i was gonna say this is like this is like early evening this is no like daytime USA network. <laughs> yes. Not even close to a midnight movie. Only in no. the, only in the sense that it's, it's got a cult status just for being it's a, cult. It's cult status. It's kitschiness and, and it's a reverent, just batshit insanity premise. Yes. Um, all of those things feed into the midnight status, but this is a very easily edited movie. You just take the, the gene triple horn body double butt out and you basically have a movie that can air at eight o'clock. Yep. Totally. Um, and so for iconography of what we're going to rate this out of, um, I just put plastic jugs of piss unless you have something better than that. No, it, it's funny that you say that because my mind started to drift towards something to do with the piss. And then I thought, oh, or maybe it could be the goofy shell earring that uh, the Mariner wears. But mm-hmm. let's I'm, I'm, I'm cool with the piss jug. Okay. Okay. Out of three, out of, out of five plastic jugs of piss, what did you give this? Man, this is like a two for me. Oh, my heart, (laughs) my heart breaks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It did, did, I did struggle with being like rational and then just not being like five plastic jugs of piss out of five. (laughs) Uh, I recognize this movie's uh, glaring faults, but in, in, that it's what endears me to it, but I'm going to just say a three and a half plastic jugs of this. Fair enough. I, again, I feel like this is, this is you getting back at me for making you watch streets of fire. So there you go. That, that might be, 
and even even that wasn't a punishment because I actually enjoyed uh, Streets of Fire. I did. Um, I didn't. I enjoyed this too. It, it was. It was not like cringy in any way, shape, or form for me. It was just like it was a dumb, dumb, fun movie. But yeah, I'm so glad we did it because it is. It's big, dumb fun. It is. That is, and that's um, that's what I'm all about. Sometimes when it comes well, to cinema. And honestly, we needed something like this to be like a combo breaker because we had been watching so many movies that were just like, I love this movie. It's a perfect movie. You know, it's just like we couldn't actually objectively separate ourselves from it enough to like shit talk it. So this is we need to have these in the queue periodically to break it up. Yeah, absolutely. And now I can check off, uh, do a, an entire podcast on Waterworld off my bucket list. So thank you. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, Adam. So uh, one last question. What's on our next episode? So obviously I picked Waterworld for us to consume and uh, you get to pick the next week's episode. Okay. So I went back to uh, the original list that I sent you to think about this and we've checked off quite a few things. Um, there is a handful of movies that I could find, I could torrent or find somewhere streaming, but more or less they were movies. That I'm like, while I was, I've been volunteering at Scarecrow's like I had easy access to them and I just would rather set them aside for when that opportunity hopefully arises again. So yeah. it came down to basically two movies on the list that I have in my immediate grasp. And one of those two movies would be a perfect uh, other side of the coin or compliment this. Mm. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a choice here Mm. and I will talk, I will mention the first one. First one's maniac, which is not it, obviously as far as complimentary, but would Mm -hmm. be amazing to talk about. I would love to talk about it. That would be more, that would have been more of a good compliment to maniac cop clearly that's true but doing those back to back may have been a lot but yeah the other one which i feel like it's also we can say this is like kind of an exception to the rule of midnight movies in in a strict sense of what we feel they are but would be a perfect compliment to talking about this movie and that is the road warrior no i think um uh, uh i love the idea of of that yes. um i th- i think if we were to go the midnight flicks uh, angle i think we would do beyond thunderdome more so than road warrior um uh, i i agree but i i did just i had road warrior on there obviously Waterworld is a direct homage a direct rip off of it fuck it let's just do road warrior okay sounds good i i and you know i feel like it would be a good palate cleanser to talk about Road Warrior because Road Warrior is an exceptional movie. Um, it is a cult movie in a lot of ways, but you know, it's especially with like um, Fury Road coming out not that long ago. You know, the, the that George Miller output from the 80s was, you know, reevaluated for a whole new generation of people. So, you know, it's it has a cult status, but it's also, you know, a pretty well-known movie. So I will say, let's go ahead and watch road warrior. Let's just check it off. Get it out of the way. Perfect time. I agree. And actually, I don't know if this is even a controversial opinion, but road warrior, I like more than Mad Max. Oh, I don't think that's controversial at all. I will wholly agree. I will say 
out of those three original movies, it is the superior one. And I love all three of them for, you know, for what they are. Um, to bump uh, that up even more, actually, I think Fury Road might be the best one. Honestly, it's so fucking good. Yeah, it's hard for me to say because, yes, as far as like movies that have come out in the past 20 years, it's it definitely in the top. And the fact that it reinvigorated George Miller's career in such like an un, like amazing, like just like just really just amazing way. Yeah. But I, I'm, I feel like I'm hesitant to say that it's better than road wear just because road wear is, was so seminal and is, is such an amazing movie, but yes, it's, it's, it's close. It's very, very close. Anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling. I'm stoked. Yeah. So let, let, we're going to talk about the road wear next time, right here, right now, right here. Same, same time, same channel, same station. Yeah. Boom. Excited. Okay. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music is brought to you by Miss Cummings. If you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. For Adam Walker, I'm Pat Mitchell. See you on the other side, bungholes. Wooey, 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 woo. Na 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 na